My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects podcast. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and 50 Objects. Surprise, two episodes in two nights, what is happening? When I initially planned this episode, I found a story that I loved and I couldn't wait to share it. So today it snowed, I couldn't do yard work, and I decided I should just write it all out and get it recorded. So here we go. To open the show today, we're going to begin in the year 1919. The world in 1919 was trying to put itself back together because 1918 saw the final conclusion to the largest and most terrible war in the history of the world to that point. World War I crippled Europe and almost completely eliminated an entire generation of men. The impact of this crisis spread across the globe. Due to the size of this war, America was thrust into the global spotlight. This war would see America emerge as the global financial capital of the world as the Americans funded the arms collections by both sides throughout the initial stages of the conflict. In the end, the Americans would side with the Entente, or Russia, France, and the UK, and send their boys to Europe to huddle up in the trenches and see out the war. The US was only involved in the tail end of the fighting, but still lost over 116,000 men in battle. The world, looking to stop this from ever happening again, proposed a League of Nations. The League of Nations would supposedly police the belligerent nations, and stop a catastrophe like this before it could ever sweep up everyone again. A pipe dream, as we now know, an even larger war is just years away. But on the U.S. side, President Woodrow Wilson guided the U.S. through these turbulent waters. As he helped negotiate the Treaty of Versailles, he now was a staunch proponent of the League of Nations. And though Congress would ultimately vote against joining, he decided to tour the United States and meet the leaders an attempt to drum up interest. Now, if you'll sit back and listen, I'll tell you a story. One of my favorites in LDS church history. In September of 1919, Woodrow Wilson's tour of the United States brought him to Utah. He doesn't know it yet, but this will be the last stop on his nationwide tour. On September 23rd, he arrived in Utah for what Utah leaders hoped would be a major celebration. Aside from his scheduled speech at the Tabernacle, Utah officials had planned a gala reception where prominent citizens could call upon the president to meet him. Utah politicians at every level also planned on meeting the president and having their pictures taken with the man. So when President Wilson and his wife arrived by train, thousands of Utah citizens organized around the train station to welcome him to Salt Lake City. Woodrow Wilson, his wife, the current Utah governor, and current church president Heber J. Grant hopped in a carriage and made their way back to the Utah Hotel. As they were moving down the streets of Salt Lake City, President Grant was told that President Wilson didn't feel well and that he would not attend any events planned for him or meet any local dignitaries. He would only give his speech at the tabernacle and he planned to rest after that. There would be only one exception to this no visitors request, one that President Wilson hoped Heber J. Grant would help him to arrange. So, upon arriving at the Hotel Utah, 
President Woodrow Wilson and his wife rested before dressing in their evening clothes. As they were finishing getting ready, a small knock came to the door. An aide opened it and admitted the one person President Wilson wanted to meet while in Salt Lake City. It was a small 92-year-old woman. Emmeline B. Wells, the president of the LDS Relief Society, would be meeting with the President of the United States at his request. So, why did President Wilson want to meet Emmeline Wells? To understand this request, we have to first discuss today's object. Today's object is the Wheat Project. So what is the Wheat Project, and how did it come about? Let's back up our story first. In 1876, Brigham Young was at his wit's end. Though the members had settled the Utah Territory and surrounding areas, they always seemed up against it and on the brink of starvation if they didn't yield a large crop turnover. Brigham had implored the members again and again to save grain, but it just never happened, and he was sick of it. Thinking that there had to be a better way of solving this problem, Brigham Young had an idea. The state of Utah at the time had a newspaper written by women for women. It was called The Woman's Exponent. The editor of the paper, Emmeline Wells, had a way of writing that seemed to reach the women and by extension, the men of the church. So in 1876, Brigham Young called Sister Emmeline Wells to his office in Salt Lake City. In short, Brigham Young tells her that he's been imploring the people to save grain for over 30 years and nothing has been done, so he's giving up. He told Emmeline he was now assigning this task to her and that he had every bit of confidence that she'd get the job done. Quite the tall task for anyone, but Emmeline Wells wasn't just anyone. Just a quick bio on Emmeline. Like many of the women we've covered on this podcast, she was intelligent, caring, and far-reaching. Raised by a widow, she graduated prep school, joined the church, and got married all at the age of 14. Her husband at the time was only 16. Can you imagine having them as neighbors? Emmeline was never to enjoy a loving marriage relationship, however. Despite all the amazing poetry she had gone to write about love, her young husband would leave Nauvoo a few years later after they got married to find work and he'd never return. While in Nauvoo, Emmeline would marry Newell K. Whitney as one of his polygamous wives. She'd follow the saints all the way to Utah, and after Newell died of old age, she'd approach Daniel Wells about marriage. He'd consent, and she'd become his seventh wife. Despite her strange experiences with love and marriage, Emmeline Wells would become a staunch early advocate of women's rights. She'd begin writing for the newspaper The Woman's Exponent. Her most famous line at the time was, quote, I believe in women, especially thinking women, end quote. Using the exponent, she'd become famous in her support for women's suffrage and educational and economic opportunities for women. She'd end up joining many prominent committees and groups of the day across the United States. For example, Utah would appoint her as the state representative to a suffrage convention in Washington, D.C. She'd be the delegate to the 1882 Utah State Constitutional Convention, and she joined the National Council of Women in the United States in 1891. But perhaps her most famous accomplishment in women's rights would be her work to allow women to hold office. In this work, she'd become close friends with Elizabeth Stanton and Susan B. Anthony and work with them to advance women's rights. She did such great work that in 1896, after women were finally granted the rights to vote and hold office, in large part to her efforts, 
She was invited by the International Council of Women to speak in London as a representative of the United States. Lastly, after Utah was finally granted statehood, Wells and her dear friend Martha Hughes Cannon from the Women's Exponent newspaper both ran for office. Martha Hughes Cannon, as a physician and a Democrat, would win office and be the first ever woman to be elected as a state senator in United States history. I want you to remember these stories the next time you're told that Utah women at this time just fell into polygamous relationships and couldn't think for themselves. So, going back to our story, when Brigham Young tasked Emmeline Wells with gathering grain, he knew he was picking someone not just extremely qualified at organizing people, but someone with the ability to get people to do something great. And that's exactly what happened. After leaving Brigham's office, Emmeline immediately penned a letter to all the women of the church via the Exponent newspaper, calling on them to begin the process of collecting wheat. This would officially kick off the Wheat Project. Now, how did the Wheat Project affect the members of the church? From the moment the Exponent article calling for the collection and storage of wheat was published, the women of the church got to work. Wheat was collected in homes and chapels and then sent to Salt Lake City, where it was stored in large granaries. Emmeline and the women of the church were out-of-the-box thinkers. Not only did they work in the fields to collect the wheat, they organized donated money to buy wheat and even attempted things like charging grain for admission to dances. Brigham Young was exceedingly pleased, and as the years rolled on, the storages got larger and larger and more useful. In the early 1900s, journal entries in Utah tell of farmers who had their crops destroyed by those dang Utah crickets. Unlike previous years when this could mean starvation, those farmers now went to Emmeline Wells and the Relief Society women to get loans for wheat. Feeling good about this, the women even looked outside of Utah to assist in larger catastrophes. When a massive earthquake hit San Francisco in 1906, some of the first wagon trains of relief to arrive on the scene came from Utah. Carloads of grain would help feed the survivors. During the Chinese famine of 1907, boats arrived with loads of grain, courtesy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and those hard-working women. It was truly a miraculous enterprise, and I have to say, this is one of the things I absolutely love about studying the church's history. The way members can turn small projects into gigantic worldwide programs. So, how did all of this and Emmeline Wells catch the attention of Woodrow Wilson? As World War I broke out and raged on, the U.S. troops were shipping off to assist in the struggle, and a major food shortage was evolving across the states. As this was getting desperate, U.S. government officials received reports that Utah was hoarding grain. When they arrived in Utah to investigate, they were amazed to discover the church had been planning for such an occasion and that they had enormous stores of grain on hand. When Relief Society President Emmeline Wells offered to donate grain to the Allied cause, the government declined. They would buy the grain at market price. They purchased well over 205,000 bushels of grain to ship to the Allied front. Now, what amazed the government officials even more was what did the Relief Society do with that money? They used it to provide insurance to widowed women. They used it to build Relief Society buildings. They bought and sold on the stock market, and they used it to fund the emergence of new church programs. These women were amazing. Now, 
Where can you see a copy of the woman's exponent where Emmeline Wells calls the women of the church to action in the Wheat Project? A copy of the original exponent is held at the Church History Library in Salt Lake City. It's amazing. If you're lazy or far away, you can just Google and see copies of it online. Next, what happened to the Wheat Project? After Emmeline Wells passed away, the program would slow down. However, the principles would echo throughout the church. When the Great Depression hammered the United States in the 1930s, church leaders would look at what was accomplished in the Wheat Project and use that to seed the creation of the church's welfare program. The welfare program is now one of the largest humanitarian aid programs in the world. We discussed it in episode 11, The Law. Maybe you should go back and re-listen to that episode. All of this amazing work thanks to a small elderly woman in Utah. So let's finish where we began. When Emmeline Wells entered the room of Woodrow Wilson on September 23, 1919, the 92-year-old woman was walked by President Wilson to his couch where he and his wife sat down next to her. And President Wilson took her by the hands and said, Will you tell me about the wheat? Emmeline Wells told the President of the United States her story. How she was tasked by Brigham Young, all about her work with the exponent, and how they collected wheat in creative ways in such large amounts that they were able to eventually feed the Allied troops who would restore peace to Europe. Woodrow Wilson and his wife were amazed. At the end of the interview, they stood up, and the man that negotiated peace to end World War I told Emmeline Wells, quote, Mrs. Wells, I thank you for permitting me to have this interview. I consider it one of the greatest privileges and honors of my life. End quote. Woodrow Wilson would right after that speak at the tabernacle and then prepare to leave Utah. However, his tour of the states would be immediately cut short as the President of the United States would be struck by a stroke from which he'd never recover. Now, if you've ever been in Salt Lake City or you go there again and you pass the Relief Society building and see their seal on the wall, if you see their logos on church websites or the Relief Society manuals, you'll notice a set of symbolic sheaves of wheat on each side. This is there in remembrance of Emmeline Wells and the Wheat Project and the enormous impact that this project had upon the church and the world. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of History of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 50 Objects. Episode 47, The Call for Wheat. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can reach out to me directly at joehomc at gmail.com. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave me a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps spread the word. Thanks again for listening.